I would like to invite us into a prayer together of loving kindness. As you're comfortable, take a deep breath. Maybe close your eyes. Allow your body to settle the places of tightness to relax. Perhaps visualize God's light surrounding you. A feeling of God's love in your heart filling your being. And we'll first send a prayer of loving kindness to ourselves. Repeat this prayer in your mind to yourself. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I dwell in God's love. With another deep breath or two, repeat these phrases once more to yourself. May I be safe, be happy, be healthy, dwell in God's love. And now we'll send these phrases to someone else. Bring to your mind's eye someone you know who is suffering right now, who's having a difficult time. Perhaps visualize God's light surrounding them, God's love in their heart, filling their being. And send a prayer of loving kindness to them. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you dwell in God's love. And once more, repeat those phrases, sending them to this person. May you be safe, be happy, be healthy, dwell in God's love. Loving creator, we thank you for your unconditional love. May we know your love and be aware that all beings need love. Guide us to share your loving kindness with all whom we encounter. Amen. This week and next week, we read stories in which Jesus insists we consider material wealth and how money may shape our relationship to others. Jesus is not so much concerned with what dollar amount we make, we give, or what's in our bank account. But Jesus is concerned with how our relationship with money influences our relationship with all God's children. 
I'd even say that Jesus requires us to ask not only how money influences these relationships, but any value that we hold on to, wealth, family, marriage, status, how any of these values are either perverted in such a way that we exploit others for the sake of our value, or how we use these values to uphold God's love and liberation. Jesus guides us through these parables, not for clear answers, but instead parables function to turn our expectations of the world upside down so we can consider the world as God would have it be, which is very often different from the world as it is, and we are usually left scratching our heads. So in considering this parable of the shrewd or clever manager and next week's parable, the rich man and Lazarus, we can keep in mind that the intention is not to let us off the hook easily with a simple, do this with your money and then God will be happy. But rather, we must be open to how God works within our own lives and how we engage our lives to serve liberation and love and notice when we get stuck in exploitation and status seeking. When we read the parable today, it is confusing. The landowner fires the manager for mishandling wealth. Now, considering the system of land ownership and employment, we can assume that even the manager has been participating in and situated in a system of exploitation. So he's obviously then caught trying to exploit the system further and for his own benefit. In the effort to help himself, he cuts the amount that the vendors owe the landowner, and the landowner praises the manager's efforts. He's clever. He doesn't punish the manager. Rather, the cleverness of the manager is praised because this age requires such cleverness, or shrewdness is another word that's used there often. This age points us to recognize the tension that we all living in an already and not yet world, experience between money and God. And the reading ends with a stark message that we cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus knows us to be in this place that is uncomfortable, where we must navigate being a a person in our culture and our economy and where we must also navigate our faith. We wrestle with questions of how do we live our Christian values? How do we respect the dignity of all people in this age of poverty, sweatshops, and terrorism? How do we serve Christ in all people in this age of political division and massive wealth inequality? Again, while this parable is used as an example of wealth and money, Jesus also points us to consider all of our values in light of the dichotomy between exploitation and love. 
If I value the dignity of all people, how can I participate in a system that harms laborers, does not offer fair wages, or practices unsafe work conditions? And also, this is 21st century America that I live in. How can I not participate in so many of these systems? I think Jesus in this parable helps us recognize that in our age, it's never one or the other. He knows our lives are complex in this global economy. We are fully integrated with one another. My morning coffee depends on half the world and the railroad workers that have almost gone on strike. We've all heard this before. Do your best, make changes where you can, pray for the harm in the world, and with God's help, strive to live with love. Yet Jesus knows that we will deal in dishonest wealth. We will take the easy way to make money or participate in exploitation to make a profit or save money. And he is saying that change for us and the system is possible. And not only that change is possible, that dishonest money can be made honest, but that we must be careful about judging those who have been part of these systems. And we must know love for them, for us also. Because this is the only way forward Love even in dishonest, exploitative situations. Love for both the railroad workers and the employers. Love especially because we participate in dishonest wealth. Love especially because we participate in systems of exploitation. Love does not mean letting it continue to happen but it does transform the process in shifting to a more Christ-centered practice of life in relation to wealth and other values. Dr. King also recognizes the tension that we live in between participation in our worldly economy and the world as God would have it. In particular, he preached about our tendency to follow a commandment Thou shall not get caught. And our path to liberation as being through other preservation, not self-preservation. In our time of moral complexity, do not get caught has become a means of self-preservation. In which we use language to soften the blow of our role of harm in the world. Our role in harm in the world. Dr. King said, it is all right to lie, but one must lie with finesse. It is all right to steal if one is so dignified that if caught, the charge comes to embezzlement, not robbery. It is permissible even to hate if one so dresses his hating in garments of love that hating appears to be loving. It is our draw to self-preservation that has brought us to use fine language to justify the perversion of our values that truly do cause harm. The manager didn't mishandle wealth. 
He was clever. Again, Jesus and King try to help us dig into the complexities of life. We cannot rely on do not get caught. We cannot rely on fine language to help soothe things over because God knows and we know the harm that is truly caused. And we cannot rely on self-preservation to justify harm. In the bigger picture, Jesus and King pull us beyond self-preservation to other preservation. That liberation from economies of exploitation will only happen when our faith is committed to Christ in all persons, ourselves, others, all humans who find themselves in situations of struggle and suffering. All humans. Dr. King preached to quote from him once more, from time immemorial, People have lived by the principle that self-preservation is the first law of life. But this is a false assumption. I would say that other preservation is the first law of life. It is the first law of life precisely because we cannot preserve self without being concerned about preserving other selves. The universe is so structured that if things go awry, if people are not diligent in their cultivation of the other regarding dimension, I cannot reach fulfillment without thou. The self cannot be self without other selves. Self-concern without other concern is like a tributary that has no outward flow to the ocean, stagnant, still, stale. It lacks both life and freshness. Jesus knows the manager will lie, will cheat. He knows we will do the same because we are still in an economic and cultural system which divides me and you, us and them, rich and poor, moral and immoral, and we judge one another, which further deepens these divides. No, Jesus says it is not for us to judge, it is for us to love. Our structure must be changed so that love guides our economy. Love drives my consumer decisions. Love drives my business interactions. Love drives my giving. Love drives all my economic engagement. Anytime we thingify another person, we judge their dishonest behavior, or we use them on our path to wealth, we exploit them. Love is our strength to face the economic circumstances of thingifying people and choosing instead to see our interrelatedness, see Christ in one another, and serve Christ in one another. Self-preservation denies the honest assessment of our actions. It prevents us from accurately diagnosing the problem of exploitation. 
We can only take the opportunity to see the depth of our interbeing when we are honest about our role in harm. Other preservation lives into our baptismal commitment to respect the dignity of all. And we can and we must do this in our economic decisions. It may feel impossible. Our economic lives are very complex. Jesus knows this. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He asks us to love. He asks us to keep loving because love is from God. And with compassion for ourselves, we will try and we will keep trying. And we will fail and keep trying some more. And it's that trying that is our path and journey of faith. For me, I know I feel discomfort when I reflect on how my economic choices impact the world around me. What products do I buy? Who is supporting my lifestyle with their labor? And in reflecting on this reading, I saw how some of my other values have caused harm too. My value of family has sometimes led me to share more about my husband's family history than he's sometimes okay with. It doesn't cause massive exploitation, but it is a perversion of my family value to use his story to show off my value. And it does harm him. I don't always ask him before I start talking if it's okay. And I'm working on that. I try and I keep trying. And I have a very patient and compassionate husband. But I know that my relationship with my values of wealth and family have dangerous slopes. And it's absolutely a part of my faith journey to try and use my values not just for my self-preservation. The world is altered when our values work for other preservation. We cease using others and we embrace a shared liberation. Loving kindness prayers are an important aid as we try to live remembering that all God's children want to be safe, be happy, be healthy, and live in God's love. How do our relationships and values support that? Amen.